Hey, let's give a hand to the worship team. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas, family. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. Hey, if you're a guest, we want to welcome you here to Crossway. Uh, more importantly, we want to welcome you to Jesus this morning. Uh, if you're new, the last few weeks we've been celebrating Advent by uh, taking a particular Christmas carol and seeing how that carol ties into the message of the birth of Christ. And so today's carol is Silent Night, and our scripture reading for this morning is Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for, what, uh, for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us that we've just heard. We acknowledge that you are a speaking God. You have spoken in the past, and you are still speaking to us today. And Lord, we gather together here with millions of other Christians at the same time on the same day to celebrate what you've done, what love has done. You loved us. You loved us. You loved rebels. You loved us in a way that no one has. And Lord, this is a story that can be very familiar to us. And we can just nod our heads along and go, yes, I'm going to go do that church thing. But God, it's such an important story. It's the story. And so, dear Jesus, I pray that you would make an old story sound new today, right now. I pray that you'd make a familiar story sound fresh. And Holy Spirit, help me do that. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your eyes, O oh God. Talk to us and help us listen to you today. Amen. Amen. The lyrics to Silent Night were, was written by Joseph Moore. It's a man uh, uh, whose name was unloved in his own hometown of Salzburg, Austria. Moore was one of three illegitimate children born to Anna Schneuberen. While his father, Franz, was a mercenary soldier who abandoned the army as well as the family right after Moore was Born. To make matters worse, Joseph's godfather was the town executioner who wasn't very popular in school. Despite his disreputable associations, an allowance was made for Joseph to go to seminary. He eventually became a priest in 1815. And a year later, he met a man named Franz Gruber. When we sang the song, you saw Franz Gruber's name up on the slide probably. Uh, he was a school teacher. He would later become the organist for Old St. Nicholas Church. Well, Moore needed a carol for the Midnight Christmas Mass. I don't know what this theme is about pastors writing their own songs and waiting to the night before. Have you noticed this? This has happened. 
but he needed a song for the midnight Christmas mass that night. He didn't have one. So what he did was he took words or lyrics to a poem that he had written earlier, and he gave those, that poem to Franz Gruber. And so Gruber composed a tune to be played with a guitar and a choir since the cathedral's organ was broken. He led worship later that night, and the first rendition of Silent Night was heard. Silent Night is now the most famous Christmas carol worldwide. It's been translated into over 300 different languages and dialects. Everybody knows this song. It was a song written in a dark period of time for Austrians who were still reeling from the devastating aftershocks of war. And it was written by a man who lived within his own personal darkness. There's much about Joseph Moore that made him difficult to love, to want to be associated with. A broken family, a life of poverty, a father that dishonored the uniform that he wore, the woman that he got pregnant, and the children that he abandoned. To have a godfather that was the hometown executioner only added to his stigma that he wore every day of his life. Do you guys get the picture yet? Are you guys feeling this story? Joseph Moore was in no way lovely or desirable. If anything, he was socially radioactive. Stay away from the Moors. Yet this man is lauded and loved for pinning arguably the most beloved and internationally enduring carol of all time. Isn't that ironic? It's fascinating to me. His life was a reflection of the very message of Christmas that he wrote about. See, Christmas confronts all of us with this great paradox. We are more difficult to love than we want to admit. Yet, we are more deeply loved than we can imagine. Christmas confronts us with this paradox. It doesn't seem to make sense at first. We are more difficult to love than we want to admit. Yet, at the same time, we are more deeply loved than we can imagine. And so what I want to do for just a few moments that we have left is just unpack that big idea, all right? First, Christmas confronts us with the fact that we are more difficult than we want to admit. Let's go to the text, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We hear that so often it doesn't stagger us anymore. It should stagger us. Here's what this is saying. The message of Christmas and the birth of Jesus are at the same time offensive and joyful for us, right? It, it sounds like bad news and good news at the exact same time. In fact, I've argued throughout this series that you can't really fully understand the good news of Christmas without understanding and appreciating the bad news first. So here's the bad news. You are a difficult person to love, okay? No one's going to tell you that, so I'm going to tell you that today. You're really hard to love, okay? Especially for a holy God. 
Scripture says plainly that we are weak. And it's not talking about physically weak. It's not talking about physical weakness. As God's creatures, we are physically beautiful, and we are able to create like our maker, and we have intrinsic value because we are made in his image. What it means, though, is that sin has made us morally ungodly, morally corrupt. This good creation has become corroded because we become ungodlike, not like our God. It means that we are prone to do what is wrong whenever we have a chance. And even the good that we do manage to do, we do it for our own glory, we do it for our own reputation, so people will think well of us instead of God's reputation. It's kind of offensive to hear, isn't it? Kind of grates on us a little bit. I mean, right now, some of you are probably like internally like crossing your arms and arguing with me, right? You guys maybe might be thinking, hey, you know what? This is Christmas Eve. This is Christmas Eve. This time we celebrate the goodness of all mankind, the love of all mankind, brotherly love, right? And by the way, I've been extra good this year. I've got the receipts to prove how good I've been. That's what some of you guys are thinking, I know. So let me ask you some questions, okay? You guys ready? Okay, some of you look ready. Here we go. Do you love your neighbor like you love yourself as God commands? Okay, you do? Well, when and what was your last act of love to your neighbor? And by the way, what's their name or the name of their children and what school they go to? Because you can't love someone that you don't know. You can't love someone that you don't see, right? How about this? When was the last time that you told a lie or that you obscured the truth? Maybe it was after a doctor's appointment. Maybe it was after you looked at your checking account. Or maybe it was when someone asked you how you were doing, maybe at church, and you said, I'm fine. And you weren't, and you lied. So you could go get to your seat. How about this? Have you ever found yourself wanting the approval of your neighbor's spouse? Like when they come to work. How about coveting your neighbor's house? Or maybe their marriage, which looks so nice on the outside. Or their lawn. Or their truck. Or their paycheck. Or how many sales they made this week. How about this? How about honoring your parents even they, when they become difficult to care for? Or maybe because it's hard to love because they're always in your business, especially at the holidays. When was the last time you lost your temper with a friend or maybe with a car in front of you? I mean, just for a moment, you were so angry you wanted to physically hurt them. I mean, you didn't, but you wanted to for a moment or two, Right? Are you guys tracking with me? All those things, get this, listen, listen to me. All those things come from our heart. All those things come from inside us, not outside of us. That's not someone else's fault. That comes from in our heart, okay? And so listen, doing just one of those things 
just one of those things, makes it really difficult for someone to love you, right? It does. It makes a friend or a spouse difficult to love us. Just one of those things is a huge barrier for love, amen? How much more for a perfectly holy God who's made us in his image? So guys, see, the truth is that we all are a little bit like Joseph Moore. We are. If we're honest, and I hope we can be honest at church, even at Christmas Eve, if we're honest, there's things about us that are morally radioactive. Just kind of beams out of us. Not physically, not artistically, not socially, not career-wise. I'm not talking about that. But morally unlovely. And deep inside of us, we all know this. We really do. And so what do we do? We burn all kinds of energy trying to hide that, trying to hide those unlovely parts about us. We constantly present our strengths. We constantly polish, and we position up front our strengths in conversations that we have with people. And why do we do this? We do it to hide our unloveliness. So we try to put cologne over our self-centeredness. We hang educational degrees and certifications on our doubts and the fears that we wrestle with in the hopes of hiding them. Maybe people won't notice. We're posers. If you're a dad, you know this. Maybe my kids won't know how much I don't know. We constantly try to cover up how difficult we are to love in the hope that someday someone might find us worthy to love. And you know what, guys? That is exhausting. That is exhausting way to live. Not only is it exhausting, but it doesn't work in the end. It doesn't even work. How do we know this? Because, because in the end, our strength to hide those things fail. And the truth comes pouring out. People find out. They know. Christmas calls us to stop exhausting ourselves through covering our sin. Stop trying to make ourselves lovable. Stop trying to make ourselves acceptable and desirable. The birth of Christ calls us to embrace the truth that we need a Savior. And that is okay. In fact, that's good news. You don't have to save yourself. Here's the other part of the paradox, family. The birth of Christ also means that we are more deeply loved than we can imagine. We're more deeply loved than we can imagine. Romans 5, verses 7 through 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That's a person who does what they're, the minimum, what they're supposed to do. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. They might risk their life. But God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what makes the love of God in a class by itself. God chooses to love the unlovely. God chooses to love his enemies, in fact. God loves his enemies? Wow. 
God, in the advent, in the coming of Christ, has poured out his love on people that in no way deserve his love, and I am one of them. The world looks for something worthy in a person in order to love them, to set our love on that person, something worthy in that person that redeems them. You ever heard that phrase? Well, he's got some redeemable qualities. That's what I'm just kind of unpacking what that phrase means. In order to do this, what, we, what do we do? We look past a person's flaws. We look past their angry outbursts. We look past their lying, their wandering eyes, their unreliability when they say they're going to do something and they just don't do it. We look past all that. We look really hard, and we try to find something good deep down inside of them so that we can love them. We tell ourselves, well, you know what? Despite all her faults, She's got that one good quality about her. And when it's good, it's really good. I'll love her. I will love him. Right? Don't we do this? Or, or sometimes what we do is we, when we find out their real faults and that they're kind of like big, they're not going away anytime soon, here's what we say. Well, at least they're making an effort to love me. It's not great, but at least they're making an effort, so I'll love them. At least... They're working on their flaws. At least they're working on their problems. I'll love them. That's how we love people. And it sounds really nice on the outside, on the surface, but actually if you scratch that surface, it's really pretty conditional. It's always a love that's, uh, that's on an if-then kind of basis. If this, then I'll. If them, then me. But guys, that is not how God loves us. That is not how God has loved you and me. Isn't that great? God loves the undeserving. And get this, God only loves the undeserving. That's the only kind of people that he loves. Isn't that great? I'm glad because that means I qualify. (laughs) Romans 5, 7 through 8 says that God loved us not because we were making a solid effort in loving him. Not because he looked down and he saw that we were burning calories on defeating our sins and working out our flaws and we're going to be better next year than we were this year. God did not look down on us and see us. Wow, they're studying the Bible. And on the basis of that, choose to love us. God loved us while we were burning calories on how we could do wrong and justify for ourselves because we liked it. He said, huh, I love you. Yes, you. I love you. Who does that, guys? Who does that? Who loves like that? The Bible says nobody. Nobody's willing to do that except one. And that's God the Father. Here is how you know that this good news, that this gospel is true and it's not a fairy tale. I want to give this to you. In all the fairy tale stories and all the movies that we watch, the hero sacrifices his life for the humble townsfolks that are being attacked. Okay? The hero sacrifices his life for the damsel in distress. She's tied to the railroad track, right? Got the bomb attached to her. The hero dies for the unjustly condemned innocent prisoner tied to the stake 
And he rushes in and sacrifices his life for him. The hero dies for the weak, but lovable, innocent person in danger. That's how all the stories go. But the big story Christmas is about the hero dying for the villain, the morally corrupt one. That is a plot of a story that no one's ever heard before, except in the Christmas story, except in Christianity. The birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that we are more deeply loved than we could ever imagine. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, in this the love of God was made manifest. That means to be made visible among us. In this, in this particular way, the love of God was made visible among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, that means a sacrifice. Not for his own sins, for our sins. The Bible says that's love. God gets to define what love is, and that is love. God's love, brothers and sisters, is a one-way love. It's like a one-way street. It's from him to you. It's going that way. God did not love us for anything that we gave him, and he didn't love us for anything that he saw down the future that we might give to him. In the birth of Jesus Christ, we visibly see God loving us at our worsts in order to make us lovely, in order to make us like him, which is really what you and I want to be. We want to be like him. As the song tells us, silent night, holy night, son of God loves pure light. It's love that's got light. You can see what love looks like radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Guys, this Christmas Eve, I want you to remember that in the manger we see true love. We see the love that we really want, actually. Jesus took on weak flesh to redeem people who were weakened by the flesh. Jesus was born into our struggles he was born into our temptations, born into our weaknesses so that he could redeem us from these bodies of death, these bodies of weakness. And that is the greatest act of love that we could ever hope to receive. When we look at Jesus, we see God actually, truly, actively loving us. Doesn't that make you want to love him back? should when you really get that doesn't that make you want to share that love with someone else it should it really should you see the point of God's saving love for us is not merely to bless us and make us feel good inside although it does do that that's not really the ultimate purpose of his love when we grasp, when we really understand how sacrificially God has loved us, it should make us want to respond with sacrificial love for other people. 
even loving people that are hard to love. 1 John 4, 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, that so means, beloved, if God in this manner, if in this particular way, right, which we read before, him sending his son, it's not just abstract, ethereal love. Beloved, if God in this particular manner loved us, we ought to love one another. This should flow out of us to others. We love those that we find unlovely. Why? Because God loved us when we were unlovely, when we were difficult to love. Christ is not just a gift for the Christians. We shouldn't hoard the love, okay? He's a gift for the whole world. He is a gift for those who do not deserve it, just like us. But how will they hear of his love if you don't tell them? How are they going to see his love is really real if you don't show them? I cannot tell your families about Christ. There's too many of you. But you know what? You can tell them. I can't show all your families the love of Christ. I don't have that much sacrificial love in me. But you know what? You can you can. In fact, I would argue that is precisely why God put you in your specific family to tell and to show them that love, to share the gift of Christ with them. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to soak up the love of Christ. Yes, amen, by all means. But I want to encourage you, let this dawning of redeeming grace flow out of you and I to others. So soak it up so that you can bring it out and pour it out. You guys with me? Amen, I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you from coming all the way from your home in heaven where everybody adored you to a very cold and dark and broken world where very few loved you. And you came to redeem your people and even redeem and restore this earth one day. We thank you for your great, epic, cosmic salvation and that we get a taste of it. So Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would help us taste fresh and anew your great love for us. And that you would help us as we taste that, that we give that to someone else. We give that to others, those that are difficult to love. They're hard for us. We just confess that instead of trying to posture. But that you would give us the power you would tenderize our heart by your love so that we can love others. Because that's what you did for us. And you did it in spades. You did it at great cost to yourself. We adore you. We adore you. And we thank you for the dawn of redeeming grace that has come and is coming. We worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.